What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, if you'd all uh, turn in your Bible to the book of Ruth, I discovered something that I want to pass on to you. It made life a lot easier for me. The book of Ruth is right after the book of Judges. So (laughs) book of Judges is a big book. You can usually find that. And then right after it is Ruth. I just discovered that just to give you confidence in your teacher this morning. (laughs) Praise the Lord that we have the possibility to. Praise the Lord there is an old rugged cross. And, um, and we've taken our decision to cling to it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being who you are, Lord. We love you this morning. We love you, Lord Jesus. And um, we would say with the hymn, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, and uh, beginning at verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Kilian, Ephratites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelled there about 10 years. And Malon and Kilian died also, both of them, and the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for he, she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore, she went forth of the place, out of the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return into the land of Judah." 
And Naomi said unto her daughter, two daughters-in-law, go return each of to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as ye have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voice and wept, and they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. And Naomi said, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn again, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband also tonight and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go, and where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, thy God my God. Where thou diest, I will die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if aught but death part thee from me. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Okay, now it's time for us. We're in the Book of Ruth, so don't think about Christmas right now. We're going to get in this time machine, and we're going to strap ourselves in, and we're going to take this trip back in history to the time during the Judges. And we're going to be there, and we're going we're, we're to land back here at the time of Ruth. We're going to unpack, and we're going to be the silent, unseen observers and we're going to be brought into the home of Naomi in this passage here. And they, they won't say, we'll be right there. We'll be li- listening to it all. And we're going to stand with Naomi. It's going to be very sad. And today, through the book of Ruth, God is going to allow us to observe closely as the backdrop for what he's going to do. We're going to see closely the lives of Elimelech and the lives of Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. So here we go. We're in our time machine, back in time. All right. Now, in our last study of Ruth, we saw how this book opened with the very important words, now it came to pass in the days of the judges that ruled, there was a famine in the land. And then it said, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So in that verse is an all-important description of this man of the house the patriarch of the house, the one who's leading them all out. He's identified in verse two, we know his name is Elimelech, but here he's described as a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. He's not just any person. He's identified as a certain man. This whole book, as we're getting into it here, is gonna be all about 
a certain man named Elimelech, a certain man named Boaz, a certain woman named Naomi, a certain woman named Orpah, a certain woman, especially a certain woman named Ruth. And each person in this book is a certain person. And the book is made up of the, well, we look see the whole book together. It's a history of all of these certain persons. And those certain persons were faced with their own particular challenges. And what each of those certain persons did in response to those different challenges, it defined those certain persons, which is what we're going to focus on, especially as we studied about Ruth, but in the whole book of Ruth. And not all those certain persons responded in the same way, but all of those certain persons were all different, and they all responded differently to the challenges that were set before them, that God allowed into their lives. And it's this collage of these all these certain persons that make up for us this wonderful book of Ruth. And not everyone in our lives responds in the same way, but it's the collage of all these certain persons in our lives that makes up our lives. And the reason this phrase in verse 1 is so important, a certain man, is because that's how God sees people in life. God sees people as certain persons. God does not see all people the same. God sees each person, like it says in verse 1, as a certain man over here, a certain woman. And that's why I told my dear Orthodox Jewish friend, Rich, last week, he came to visit me, and he kept talking to me about we Jews, we Jews. And I kept saying to him, Rich, don't think of yourself as a Jew. Don't talk about how we Jews have suffered and survived and how much we've achieved in the world. Don't talk about how we Jews like Bernstein made West Side Story or like Einstein discovered the theory of relativity because God sees each person not as a Jew, not as a Catholic, not as a Baptist. God sees each person standing alone before him, stripped away of any group, stripped away of any association. And I told my dear friend, God does not see you as a Jew. He sees you as a certain person, a certain person named Rich. He sees me as a certain person named Tom. And no Jewish person should ever think that he or she can hide behind the drape, the curtain, of being a part of the Jewish people or of being a Jew because God only sees individuals. He doesn't see Jews, and each individual has to stand before God alone. And no Catholic person should ever think that he or she can hide behind the curtain, the drape of being a Catholic, of being a Catholic because God only sees individuals. He doesn't see Catholics. The only individuals stand before God, each one alone. Same for Baptists. No Baptist should ever think he can hide behind the curtain or the drape of being a part of the Baptist or being a Baptist because God only sees individuals. He doesn't see Baptists, and each individual has to stand alone because in God's sight, he does not broad brush everyone in a group. He sees every person as a certain man. And Elimelech is described in verse 1 as a certain person. And the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to every certain person that's born no matter if he's born in a mansion in Bel Air 
earth. He's born in a mud hut in Ethiopia. The same Lord Jesus Christ speaks to every person as a certain person. And that's what's meant in John 1, 3 through 4, where it says, all things, sorry, John, John 1, 3 through 4 and 9, all things were made by him, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Another way to describe the Lord Jesus Christ from John 1.9 is to say, he is the true light which lighteth every certain man that cometh into the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is the true light, and he brings light to every certain person, every certain man that comes into the world. And he does that because he loves every certain man. And he's not willing for any certain man to perish in hell. And he does that because he will have every certain man to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is what he says in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to the repentance. And in 1 Timothy 2, 4 who will have all men be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Said he as the light, the Lord Jesus Christ is the light. He shines on every certain man. And then he looks to see if this certain man, this certain woman, what his response is to the light. And if this certain man responds to the light, then he brings to that certain person more light until that certain person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, finally to receive life. So just as the Lord Jesus Christ looks at the response of each certain person to life's challenges, he's looking at each of our certain lives also, and sometimes he sees a certain person who has not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be saved, and for that person, the Lord Jesus Christ has outstretched arms. And he's saying, Matthew eleven twenty eight, come unto me, all you who are just worn out, you're exhausted, you labor, and you're burdened down, you're heavy laden. He says, and I'll give you rest. And then he sees another certain person who is saved, and that certain person, he's saying to that person, oh, how I wish you would get up in the morning and you would seek me with all of your heart, that there would be this tabernacle meeting between you and I in your morning devotion times. And he sees another certain person who is a believer and has deep problems in his life, deep problems, and he's looking to see, will that believer trust in me, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart and lean not unto his own understanding? Now, we see from verse one that the certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, had a tremendous problem in his life, and that's described as there was a famine in the land. And that certain man made a decision because of the problem, and he decided, that certain man made a decision to forsake the land, the promised land by God, to forsake the land of Israel and to go into the land of idolatry, to go into the land of God's enemy, to go into the land of Israel's enemy, the Moabites. And that certain man decided to leave the place called Bethlehem, or house of bread, and to a, go to a place called Moab. To a place, that's an awful name, Moab. Moab means from her father. And what this is referring to is the origin of the Moabite people, which was the Moab was the son of the immorality between Lot and his daughter. 
And and that's where the name comes from. And so now what we see in verse 2 is that the name of this certain person who made these certain decisions to go there, his name is Elimelech. And Elimelech is two words, and they're joined together. We know, we know the word Eli, 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 Lama Sabachthani, my God, my God, from Psalm 22, from the cross. Eli is, means my God. And then the word Melech, we know that word, that means king. So Elimelech means my God, king. My God is king. That's the meaning of his name, my God is king. So a certain man has the name of my God is king. And this is all the more dramatic when we put verses one and two together like this and read through the names. There was a famine and a certain man from the house of bread went to the country with the immoral name of from her father and the man's name was my God is king. Isn't that something? And so that's a real problem. That's a problem. Because many certain people experienced the famine. And not every certain person did what this certain man did. Not every certain person left God's promised land to go into a land of idolatry. But the problem was that this certain man's response, he did this, and it made it all the worse because of the meaning of his name. Because his name is my God is king. Where Elimelech and his response to the problem of the famine brought dishonor to God. It, it annulled what his name meant. Because as he walked out of the land of Israel, and he walked away from the Jewish people, and he left the land, and he came into the land of Moab, everybody saw him do that. They saw The Jewish people saw the certain man leave. The Moabites saw him come in. And they saw this man, and then they said, who's that? He said, that's the man whose name is my God is king. And the Moabites saw that. Who, what's your name? My name is my God is king. Really? So it shows by his decision that he didn't really believe that, that he didn't really trust God to provide him with food in God's land. And they saw this certain man whose name was my God is king, and he shows by his decision he doesn't really believe that God was strong enough or king enough to care for him in the land. And so when verse 2 tells us that the man's name was my God is king, that's a problem. And when we call ourselves Christians and we're saying my God is Christ or my God is the Lord Jesus Christ and people watch our lives to see if we really do believe, do we really show and believe that God is the Lord Jesus Christ and people are watching us to see if we really believe that. And the Lord Jesus Christ is God. We believe he's going to take care of us and that I don't have to compromise to take care of myself. I believe the Lord Jesus Christ is God. I don't have to defend my, I don't have to fight. I don't have to take vengeance because he's God. And both the saved and the lost are watching us carefully. And they're seeing if our name matches our decisions in life. Like they looked at Elimelech and they asked the question, is his decisions matching his name? And that's why the first statement in verse 2 is so important. The name of this man who forsook the people of God, who forsook the country of God because of a famine, his name is my God is king. So when verse 1 says that he left Bethlehem, Judah, that emphasizes how the man with the name of my God is king was a discouragement. It was discouraging to the people of God who were left in the land. And at the end of verse 2, where it says, and they came into the country of Moab, that shows how this man with the name of my God as king brought dishonor to God among the lost Moabites who needed God. 
And as both the ones left in Israel and the people of Moab saw this man whose name was my God is king, they all said, I guess he really doesn't believe this God is king. He must not believe it. And the sad fact is that this is the history in the book of Ruth of a certain man whose name was my God is king because verse 3 starts off with his death. Now in verse 3, the spotlight now of our history switches switches from Elimelech to Elimelech's wife, Naomi. And we read in verse 3, And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now we see in this verse a report of what happened. We read, Elimelech has died. And we find ourselves, when our time machine were there, we're standing with Naomi, and we're standing in front of an open grave with her two sons. It's the grave that's been dug for their father, and their father is in the grave, and they're all looking down, and we're looking down too on the body of Elimelech before they cover it with dirt. And they're all saying, we hear them saying goodbye, and the pain is unbearable, especially for Naomi. Elimelech is gone, he's not coming back. That's the message. Job was a man who just, he gave a lot of thought to death. He was thinking a lot about death. Job was. And he described death several times with, the, with, with one theme. And it's an idea that he, he kept saying this. And he said in, in Job 16.22, he said, when a few years are come, then I shall go the way whence I shall not return. So he says, thought, I'm going to go to a place I'm not coming back. And in Job 10.21, he, he said, before I go, whence I shall not return. See, I shall not return. And the Job 7, 9 through 10, as a cloud is consumed and vanisheth away, so he that goeth down to the grave shall, shall not come back. He shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. And King David, speaking of the death of his newborn son, said in 2 Samuel 12, 23, but now he is dead. Wherefore should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. See, Job, David, same thing, not return. And David's words, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me, is brought out by one word in our passage here in Ruth 1.3, and that's the word left. That's his left. Elimelech, Naomi's husband died, and she was left and her two sons. It's an awful feeling. It's an awful feeling after a person walks out of a hospital room or walks out of a bedroom and a loved one has just died. It's awful. It's a feeling that I'm left. It's a believer. The believer can say of a believer with a measure of joy, a measure of sweet joy. I remember so much when Mike Johnson uh, spoke about his reaction to the death of his sister Joy and then of his his brother Larry, but, but he spoke about it. He says, yes, you could say, I know that he or she is in a better place now, and it's true. And the believer can say to the believer, I know that he or she is all right now, he's healed, and it's true. But the, and the believer can say, but the believer can also says with King David, about, he, says, he says, I shall go to him, and that's true. But all the comfort and all the joy of those statements don't take away from the rest of 2 Samuel 12, 23. He shall not return to me. 
And which is what Job has been talking about. He says, I shall go the way whence I shall not return, and he shall return no more to his house, neither shall his place know him anymore. All the comfort, all the joy of all those statements of what happened to the believer who died, don't take away from the four words about Naomi, and she was left. And those four words in verse verse 3, and she was left. And as we stand there next to her, we feel the emptiness of it all. And we feel the hollow feeling in the stomach like when you've lost your most valuable possession on earth. And it's a terrible feeling. And the strongest part of Tim LaHaye's book in his series about the tribulation was the title, Left Behind. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.